On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Utkrash Sengar. He is the Director of Engineering at Webflow. We're going to be talking about, you know, an area that actually has a lot of expertise in around growth engineering and, and what it is and you know, how do you measure the ROI, the customer behavior. We're going to try to jam in as, as much as we can with uh, Utkrash. And uh, I appreciate you being on the show and, and I'm excited to do this. Thank you. Super excited uh, to be here. Awesome. So I guess two things uh, before we dive in. Uh, Webflow, not everyone is familiar. So if you give us a high level of what the company does, and then um, you're the director of engineering, uh, what does that encompass? So Webflow is a no-code website building product. Um, Essentially, one of our mission is we bring development superpowers to everyone. And what that really translates to is... um, Let's say you are not an engineer, but maybe a designer who wants to build a pretty compelling website for your marketeers, your own portfolio. Uh, You can go to Webflow. Uh, We have abstracted out the complexities of CSS, HTML, to to an extent JavaScript. And uh, you can just build it all out uh, within our no-code interface. And uh, I know you're now the director of engineering. Uh, What does that cover for you? So yes, my area of focus at Webflow is um, twofold. Um, one of the teams I manage is what we call the lifecycle team. In many companies, it's called the growth team. And the second area of focus is what we call ecosystem. So that's responsible for building out the third-party developer platform um, and just getting demand for the products our third-party engineers build for us. Well, I appreciate you uh, being on. I know we're... Uh... Going to be talking heavily about growth engineering, and, and I guess just just for everyone, just before we start, can you just tell us what growth engineering is as a starting point? Yeah, such a broad question, uh, but totally. I know it's something which is, I think, applicable uh, to pretty much all companies. But depending on the stage of the company, the answer to that question varies. So let me give you an example. Let's say you are a two people startup. At that point everything is growth. Like you are focused on uh, building a product which meets customer needs, but at the same time, you have to serve your own business. You have to make sure that product sells well. So I would say like pre-product market fit, uh, any company is a growth stage company. Like they're building out uh, their growth engineering function by default. Um, Once the company reaches a certain scale where they they have a flywheel which is working well, that's when uh, growth teams um, are more formed in a more dedicated way. And at that stage, the focus of a growth team is look at all the product offerings your company is building for your customers, which can not be necessarily one. You would have probably two to three personas within your product line addressing customer needs. How do you bridge the gap of what, what are you building with? How are you selling it to your customers so that it aligns with their needs and their business like values they have so that's where i fit in like like that's where a lot of early stage growth teams to uh, help in uh, scaling uh, their products to be aligned with business needs and then there's like late stage companies where growth teams are more embedded within functions specializing in scaling seo operations specialize in ex- uh, scaling marketing operations like how do you automate your uh, ad tech so the, like these are the three you know, like broad strokes in which both teams differ and 
largely they focus on uh, bridging this gap of how do you make a product and sell it to your customers effectively. No, I, I like the overview. I think that's a that's that's a great way of um, looking at it. And I guess if you are looking at the makeup of a growth engineering team, what what kind of skill sets are on that team? What kind of skill sets do you need on that team? Yeah, it's it's almost often the primary skill set in a growth engineering team is focused on being a full stack engineer. So the so that's one, which is like in terms of engineering skill set, you should be comfortable going throughout the stack and focused on problem solving, which is the next skill we look at, which is, you know, like if you're looking to specialize in certain technology, growth is probably not the place to be in, in early stage or late stage companies, maybe super late stage public companies, growth teams, yes, they will deeply specialize in certain areas. But for most of the places where I've seen growth teams succeed, they are engineers who can wear multiple hats. Um, In one of the instances, I actually had an engineer who was very comfortable designing in Figma, and then building it out um, on a front-end experience. In, and my uh, like one of my criteria, which I try to focus on when evaluating engineers, is of course have full stack focus, have a strong product sense. Like they 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 need to understand uh, what good looks like. You know, like in terms of product taste, uh, not just build what they're being asked to build, which is of course uh, an attribute in all engineers should have. But in growth, it's extra necessary to have a strong product sense of uh, what customers would need. And lastly, uh, which is, I think, the hardest skill to build in engineers is this knack for understanding customer behavior, which has, you know, like metrics, use amplitude, mixed panel, whatnot out there. And second is just understanding customer through their behaviors on the product, like, like, like using tools like uh, Hotjar or user story to understand what customers are doing which informs your hypothesis of what to do next for them to help them uh, reach their you know, like next stage of success. So I would say like, yeah, these three areas is what makes a successful uh, growth engineer. Absolutely. I, I, I guess, yeah, I was kind of listening to you talk about the, you know, the team makeup and the type of you know, functionality that the team is, is, is working on. And I, I, I hear a lot of data. I hear a lot of components of data in there and you're, you're, you're probably working very closely with the data team. Maybe talk about what that relationship looks like and how 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 do you partner with data teams? Yeah, there are in my experience, there are like two two sort of like work streams uh, uh, which which are activated while interacting with a data engineering kind of team. One is uh, like just real time data flow, which is like make like make sure the data you are capturing about the customer behavior, you know, like user events, they are captured well, they are rich, they have enough information where downstream analyses can be done effectively. And in some cases, that data can be funneled back into the customer experience in some way. So for example, uh, one of the things we built back in the day was, uh, like we called it like fear of missing out, (laughs) Uh, which was um, just show the counts of uh, invites somebody received on their profiles. It was like some job posting feature. like just that one one functionality felt fairly straightforward, but the value was it created the sense of urgency that, oh, my profile is being visited a lot. I should enhance it further. So that was an example of us working on real-time data funneling back into the product. So that's like one work stream. Focus on personalizing data access for growth experiments, creating urgency in customer to take certain like actions, which helps them at the end. Second 
work stream is focused on data analysis, which is going deeper into understanding customer behavior, like looking at the activity on the website, on their mobile app, linking them through business metrics, like segmenting the customer behavior, identifying like what kind of segments do what kind of actions. And that goes back to my first point about making the data richer and actionable, and then using that data to really uh, make sense of that. And on the second front, a lot of work and a lot of collaboration with data and data analytics team goes in into just identifying like how to find those uh, segments. And of course, SQL queries are a big friend to us. But these days, I think there are a lot of nice tools out there, which also helps us do this job well. And I guess you know you you hear a lot about the you know the data teams also you know running A/B experiments and trying to look at you know how to improve functionality, bring back the metrics into into the team. I guess when when there is a developed you know data function, and, and let's say they are you know they run a lot of experiments, is there ever any like? conflicting responsibility as a growth engineering and and let's say you know a, a more advanced analytics team that's that's running those type of experiments oh no no i would say i would say it's more of a partnership complementary uh, yeah yeah like the growth team's focus is uh leveraging the data capabilities maybe an ab testing tool in house or third party and using those tooling and support to build a product experience which generates more data for for further analysis and drive business impact, and it's a it's yeah it's more of a partnership with the data team around either help us analyze that in some cases when things become too complicated, or in most of the cases provide us the systems like the tooling the software needed to make that data accessible and queryable for our own analysis. Absolutely, I guess you know there's a partnership with data, be part of the engineering team. Is how do you measure the ROI of being on this team? Because obviously, it's very instrumental. I mean, it's the growth, uh, but also then you have a sales team that's responsible for sales and a marketing team responsible for marketing. Is is it easily done, or, or how do you tie back to the ROI of hey, this team is producing X value? How, how is that done? Yeah, great, great question. And so you know, like uh, in just building software, let's ignore data team for a like for a second, uh, like a growth team for a second. Building software is easy to measure early on. Like you build something, people are buying it, amazing growth is happening. But as companies become bigger, how one feature contributes to business growth is a very hard thing to quantify. There's an attribution problem for product software teams in general, building uh, systems. So on the product side of things, I think it's even much more harder to quantify what is my business impact. Of course, in some large, let's say, SaaS companies, which has like the Salesforce, they have like well-defined uh, clouds within them. That is a bit more quantifiable. But if, if you drill deeper into those, it will be harder for them to quantify what is their impact to this like big picture system they are building. Growth teams are lucky that way, where our impact is way, way more quantifiable. Like we are owners of um, very specific metrics within the company. Like uh, like when we start our year, we, you know, like we, of course, have some negotiations about what should be our OKRs for the year. And we start with like taking up uh, like very business focused metrics. Like we will increase NRR by X percentage, some, some revenue number. So we are much more closer to the money, if you will, than other traditional product teams. Because of that, um, uh, our impact is 
very measurable. Uh, the challenge, I would say, for a growth team is, uh, you know, like our bread and butter is running a bunch of A-B tests, using those learnings to build up on something bigger. Individual A-B tests result in a, like a win or loss. Easy. Like that's a fairly easy thing to quantify. The challenge is how do you combine the win of, let's say, the last 10 tests and then like say like, hey, this is the broader impact we had. Um, that sometimes gets a challenge. So like attribution of success over the... So let's say you our revenue went up from 100 to 150 million over one year. Let's say that happened. Um, some of the A-B tests we ran maybe contributed to like, say, let's say 10 million and the remaining 40 was due to some product improvements, just natural growth. Is that really that 10 million or did we contribute more? Attribution of that number is a little harder and there are some ways to attribute to to capture that attribution like by things like whole.groups and other things. But again, yeah, so coming back to your question, it's definitely easier uh, because we are held accountable very to very direct measurable metrics for the business, which is tracked again by revenue or some more, yeah, some of these business metrics. I, I guess, you know, I was just thinking about that. I mean, obviously it seems highly instrumental uh, being on, on a growth team. And, and obviously you're responsible for two different teams. How, how do you maintain, I guess, the, the the product and the growth engineering, I guess, mindsets? I mean, obviously they're both engineering, but they have slightly different, I, I, to me, it seems like mindsets. Maybe I'm correct, but, but and if I am, you can, yeah, please correct me, but, but how do you manage that? Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think it's 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 a very different mindset, and the engineers who we try to hire on the growth teams. Uh, I mean, when when I'm interviewing them or I'm on some like sale call with them, I'm being pretty explicit that like the kind of expectations we have from engineers on this group, which is, you know, like the biggest trait is um, you have to show extremely high amounts of autonomy, uh, and what that really means in day to day life is. Let's say we don't have a PM on a problem. Um, let's say we did find an opportunity where we clearly see, like in the numbers, that our funnel of, of uh, activation of the customer is weak at stage three. Uh, like a lot of drop-offs are happening. An engineer should be able to identify that, should be able to devise a hypothesis of like how to address that problem and then build an experience to improve that uh, uh, funnel. So that's the baseline expectation we have from an engineer and yeah candidly many engineers don't want to do that like many engineers enjoy just building amazing and hard systems and that's a totally okay thing to do too that's its own challenge so yeah i think it's a different kind of skill set and uh, uh, the like the kind of archetypes which we see uh, at least who, who end up uh, within growth teams are either engineers who really want to learn and go deep into growth for you know whatever reasons out there, like maybe their colleagues are in there, they, they just find the space attractive. And the second kind of engineers are entrepreneurs who are who happen to be engineers, like who in the future would want to build their own company. They are learning this as a skill set of how to build and sell. So these are the two kinds of engineers who I see are uh, fairly successful within the growth team. Interesting. And I guess when you're, when you have somebody on the growth team, and, and they potentially want to go to the product team. Um, and the reason I'm asking is you said they're, they tend to be more full stack. Is that something where it's sitting down with somebody and talking about their career and talking about how they make that shift? Because I'm sure people do go back and forth, maybe not as 
commonly, but obviously to go from a full stack to maybe a more focused engineer, you do need to maybe take some steps or you need some uh, some adjustments in terms of you know where you're spending where your time. How, how how do you help somebody make that adjustment or or maybe going from specialized to full stack even? Oh, 100, 100. Like, yeah, that is something which, uh, you know, like at least I have been trying to focus a lot on every year as I grow myself. Um, so at least at Webflow, we are big on internal mobility. We 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 actually encourage people like, hey, like if you, if you have been working on this problem for, for one year, what's next for you? Like, what are the problems you want to solve? We, of course, try to find opportunities for them within the team. If we can't, we look elsewhere within the company. Like, where can they grow further? Um, what I see is maybe over the last one year, I have seen maybe two engineers who who fall in that bucket where they were they are strong engineers within growth too, but their long term career goals are more aligned with like specializing in a certain area. For example, in Webflow's case, um, like one of the most uh, uh, mature and complex system we have is what we call the designer. It's essentially our IDE where designers build the product um, like their websites um, they just wanted to have exposure and more deeper knowledge of that one system um, so you know like in that case it, we couldn't help it. like the growth team does not specialize in certain areas so like sometimes we do like sometimes we have to run our off experiments in a certain area but that's not the spirit of it the spirit is problem solving which happens to be in designer but if a person has made up their mind that they want to explain gain expertise in a certain technology, we help them transition to that area. And the same thing works the other way around, which is some engineers are excited about just working on problems which are more full stack, touching a bunch of areas, including marketing in many cases. And um, we help them um, be exposed to those problems. But I can tell you, it's it's definitely not for everyone. It's a special kind of uh, interest people need to have. Interesting. I mean, it certainly seems, um, I mean, obviously a Webflow seems like that. I, I've used the product. I've, I've seen it. So that ID seems really complex. I mean, whoever's working on that, uh, it, it needs a different skill set. And I'm everything you're talking about, the growth side is much more, you know, I, not that it's a business role, but you need to understand some of the business drivers. I mean, it's a little different level of understanding. Um, so I could, I, I could see how the two hats are very different, even though, Coding is sometimes coding, but it's a it's a mindset. I was going to ask you when you're when you're kind of looking at people coming in um, and and they're interviewing. Do you sometimes through the interview process start seeing, hey, you know what, you probably would be a fit for this team. Let let's talk to you about what growth engineering is and position it just because they might have that aptitude. Does that come up a bunch for you? Um, that has happened the other way around. Often, other me, okay, yeah, where, where we are interviewing somebody for the growth team and we realize they are a really strong candidate, just maybe not a great fit for us. So we transition them over to other hiring pipeline. Maybe the other way around, which is essentially from product person interview pipeline coming to us has happened, but not that often. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm starting to ask uh, this question of leaders and and I was going to ask you just, it just popped into my head. I I hadn't prepped you for this, but it's not a hard question. It's more of a philosophical one. I've been talking a lot about the fear of missing out in technology and this kind of weird pressure of, you know, trying to stay up to date, trying to know what's coming out. Don't adopt too soon. Don't adopt too late. It all seems like a very much uh, an art, not a science, because, you know, you're using your best judgment to implement technology at the optimal time. 
that FOMO for an executive, um, you know, as you're trying to, you know, see forward and think forward, like, how do you work around that? How do you balance that? Hey, I know what's coming. I have to put a certain amount of research. I have to pay attention to this, but obviously you don't want to jump on every single bandwagon and trend because that's just, you can't adopt it. Your team would just implode. How do you, how do you manage that FOMO? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's 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 such a you know, like also being an engineer, uh, like a new cool thing definitely attracts you so much. So it's 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 definitely a very hard balance. Um, look, like I think the way I at least try to internalize it, and of course, I'm not saying you know, like we we do a great job at that all the time, but that's how we learn. Is like we think about this in terms of um, is a potential solution coming in front of us, a technology, a hammer, uh, uh, is that um truly helping us solve the business needs we have at the moment or something which we know concretely about and if it does um then then we think about this as let's incubate this so we don't set some crazy like okrs and like company level change direction or something like that we just focus on let's incubate this let's think about like let's in, like the, like do not invest too much but focus on solving a problem well for one concrete use case gain the learnings gain the inside out of like how that works. And if we see some light in solving that one problem, then try to see, can that be replicated across two, second or third? So yeah, it's it's just tinkering around, honestly. Like you, you tinker, you learn, and then you probably apply. And like one closing thought on that is, um, it's 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 a great quote by like one of my favorite programmers, Nathan Mars on this topic, which where he talks about, Again, I'm 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 going to paraphrase him, which is um, abstractions are not invented; they are discovered by a series of concrete use cases. And what he's trying to say here is focus on identifying the concrete use cases, use cases which which drives your business value or something which you truly care about, and from there, this you, like those abstractions or systems you want will be discovered they they will show themselves up and in many cases i've seen like technologies are forced invented within the companies because we want to do this i think that's where things fail so like that's what i try to give my team guidance on focus on concrete use cases everything else will expose themselves um and uh, i think that has been working well we'll see how things go no that's great no i i like the uh, i like the uh, paraphrasing um uh, example and I think that that makes a lot of sense and I think it's a challenge right because you have engineers that are tinkerers by nature they're probably coming to you constantly with different ideas you know from both the growth team the product team and and you know obviously I, I like this idea of um finding the use case don't don't go work the other way around so I think that's awesome good crush I know we're running out of time um and before I wrap up I, I always like to ask my guests uh this question I was going to ask you as well. If you could ask a future guest on the show to cover a topic, what what would you like to hear about? I'm a growth person, so I'm going to be biased towards growth. I think um, there are a couple of people I really admire a lot in this space, and I think them sharing insights about engineering and how they partner with engineering will go a long way to just build future growth leaders. So uh, one is Casey Winters. Um, He... He is, you know, like like he's he's amazing in like how he thinks about growth. I have met him a couple of times. I think he has great insights to share about uh, just growth. So I think he'll be a good addition. And second would be Elena Werner. 
I have not met her, uh, but I think she's uh, pretty solid in like how she thinks and rationalizes things in her head about growth and uh, business in general. Okay, definitely. More more growth uh, engineering uh, podcast could be good. I think a lot of people would like that as well. Um, lastly, if somebody does want to reach out to you to pick your brain on anything you talked about, what's a good way of getting hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn works best, but I know a lot of people are not like that active on LinkedIn sometimes. Now, now they are. So I'm also on Twitter. So Twitter, LinkedIn works best for me. All right. We'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Um, thank you for being on. Thank you for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. Well, same here. Thank you so much for having here, Amir. Absolutely. That's it for today's episode. Be back again, different guests, different topic. If you did find the podcast useful, please share it with somebody else that you know. Like, subscribe, leave a review wherever you are listening to this. I appreciate that very much. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.